One of the principal methods employed by the Democratic Party during the Civil War was targeting Irish immigrants for anti-Republican propaganda, with the intent of sowing racial and civil conflict uh, throughout the Union. Uh, this propaganda evinced the growing anti-Catholic sentiment uh, that would undergird the growth of the Ku Klux Klan in the 20th century and the ascension of devout Klansmen and anti-Catholic Hugo Black to the Supreme Court under Franklin Roosevelt. But during the Civil War, the Democrats really fell into two primary categories, uh, at least those who weren't actively involved uh, in secession and then war. Uh, the first was the War or the Douglas Democrats, and the second group were referred to as the Copperheads. So Northern Democrats held the same pro-slavery fanaticism, that Calhounism that we've discussed so frequently, uh, the same as their Southern compatriots or equivalents on the plantations and in the Confederacy. Uh, their ideological difference was not over slavery, but over uh, disunion or secession, if you will, uh, and especially over uh, the Civil War more generally. Now, in contrast... Uh, Copperheads were Confederate propagandists, and they targeted uh, northern populations for misinformation uh, and social conditioning. And they were aided and abetted by some of the largest uh, newspapers in the country at the time, including the New York Times. And the Times actually uh, took special pains to serve as a kind of magnification or, or amplification perhaps would be would be better uh, for the racist propaganda that was constantly pushed uh, by copperhead democrats and they would uh, not only would they reprint similar uh, statements from other papers in the south uh, but they would actively uh, publish uh, intentionally disingenuous articles and information uh, with the sole intent of uh, kind of upsetting the uh, social conditions of the North, uh, which is a strategy that will continue to play out uh, on the uh, kind of the psyop side of the war, especially in future wars. Uh, but the most illustrative example of the kind of really well-organized and structured propaganda methods employed by the Democratic Party at this time it's found in a pamphlet, and the title of this pamphlet was uh, Miscegenation, the Theory of the Blending of the Races Applied to the White Man and the Negro. Now, what's particularly interesting about this pamphlet is that its very origins really kind of expose it for what it was intended to be. Uh, it was authored by uh, two Democrat journalists uh, named David Goodman Crawley, which <laughs> that last name is especially ironic, uh, and also George Wakeman. <clears throat> now, what makes this particularly interesting, however, is that they didn't put their name on the pamphlet. They actually uh, wrote under fake abolitionist uh, or Republican pseudonyms. Uh, that way, whatever they wrote would be falsely attributed to abolitionism, the Republican Party, uh, and what have you. So, deflection... Uh, obfuscation, deception were the uh, key components of the pamphlet even before you get past the title page. Well, the pamphlet itself is pretty long. Uh, they put a great deal of effort into it. Uh, so 
in summary, uh, the primary tenets it flows with uh, was that the Irish were, in general, a very inferior subhuman species. Uh, they were described as, at the very best, equal to blacks, but were repeatedly referred to as being uh, the inferior to blacks, and that would turn into a, a major theme throughout the pamphlet, and since the solution that they later uh, suggest uh, is the uh, interracial breeding between, uh, for some reason, which we know why, Irish women and black men to improve Irish stock. And this really wasn't unusual at the time, uh, although it's generally kind of lost in the larger uh, scheme of of disenfranchised or oppressed groups throughout American history. Uh, the Irish had long been considered subhuman. Uh, it wasn't. Un- it was pretty commonplace to uh, have the Irish referred to by kind of an imaginary f- term called Irish Iberian, uh, and or even Irish Negroids. Uh, they were portrayed on uh, posters, pamphlets, scientific journals, and whatnot as being uh, everything that a black was, but worse, and white. Uh, it's it's in they they serve as an interesting example of the evolution of this type of tyrannical elitist, uh, really kind of class conflict predicated on race, uh, shifting away from just pure physical characteristics uh, to one of more overt ideological conformity. What the Irish are unique in this, this kind of this larger kind of tyrannical matrix uh, is, is how hard those same voices that tried to use science as a tool to subjugate black Americans. Uh, they, <laughs> they spared no effort in trying to force Irish into that same box. Uh, but back to the pamphlet in general or, uh, here. So the... Uh, Irish women, according to this pamphlet, were compulsively drawn uh, to black men. Of course, this is meant to be in a sexual manner. Uh, the only way to improve the subhuman inferior Irish stock uh, was through interbreeding with blacks and just so that they could have the maximum impact, as we alluded to earlier. Uh, this was always and repeatedly set up as black men with Irish women. Now, for uh, for those who are familiar with the uh, propaganda campaigns generally pushed in the South, this is very, very much the same. Uh, there was some modifications made, uh, but generally it was, it was Southern propaganda. It was the same style of propaganda um, that was meant to kind of keep... Uh, slaveless white men incensed and impassioned and in a state of heightened emotion so that they could be gaslit. The only real difference here is that uh, in the South, the end of slavery was often marketed as opening the, the floodgates to the sexual predation of white women by these roving bands of un, untethered black slaves or ex-slaves in this case. Now, <laughs> to us in the present day, you, we, of course, kind of quirk an eyebrow and wonder how could something so absurd possibly have spread? 
and it's not that in that much different from a lot of the misinformation uh, that swirls around the public sphere today, where uh, especially leftists will attach uh, a ridiculous consequence or presumed consequence that is generally in no way related to the act that they disagree with. But during this time period, this kind of uh, attachment of the black man, the white woman, and some form of a racial sexual danger uh, was present. Uh, and it was so actually so common that um, it was talking points by the leading Democrats of the day, both in the North and South, including Stephen Douglas, uh, the Democrat candidate for president in 1860. And it's a self with the Irish propaganda here, it was merely modified to insult. Uh, Irish in general by claiming that Irish women preferred black men over Irish men. So it was really kind of a, a, a one-two punch because uh, the Democrats who wrote this were able to incense Irish men to use as political tools, they hoped, uh, and at the same time still managed to insult them since they harbored a serious sense of superiority over virtually everyone. But this itself was drawn from kind of the, the larger historical understanding of blood purity. Uh, and, of course, that was also prevalent both uh, well, throughout the world, uh, starting in Spain, uh, but especially in uh, the southern states uh, during the antebellum period, the idea of racial purity. And, of course, that, that would then uh, largely supplant slavery as the, pr as the primary tenet of the Democrat Party uh, at the conclusion of the Civil War. Uh, they can no longer market themselves as the party of slavery, of course. Uh, so instead, it was the uh, party of white supremacy, uh, racial purity, uh, and the maintenance of a two-tier uh, social system based on, on race. So not unlike the antebellum South. But within the pamphlet itself, uh, one particular excerpt of many... Uh, it, it draws into play this, this blood purity idea. And historically, the word amalgamation had applied to this concept. Uh, I write about it uh, extensively in Volume 1 of the 1787 Project. And, and, but the propagandists, these copperheads, felt like we needed a little rebranding for kind of this idea. We need something that sounds newer. Uh, a little more scientific, something that's really going to kind of re hit the reset button to to play on that same type of c passionate chord uh, in our target population here. So they created a new word. Uh, it's called miscegenation. And so that by using this word, instead of amalgamation, uh, they kind of applied a thin veneer of scientific authority uh, to their uh, not new <laughs> uh, proposal here. Uh, and it is, it is worth recalling that the entire pamphlet was written in, in a way that it was, was meant to present a kind of logical and scientific argument. It wasn't just the smatterings of a, a rabid propagandist. So drawing from the pamphlet, one section reads, uh, in part, wherever there is a poor community of Irish in the north, they naturally herd with the poor Negroes. 
and as a result of the various offices of kindness which only the poor pay to one another, families become intermingled, and the connubial relations are formed between the black men and the white Irish women. Were it not for the unhappy prejudice which exists, such unions would be very much more frequent. The white Irish woman loves the black man, and in the old country it has been stated that the Negro is sure of the handsomest among the poor white females. So the same passage, one would only have to substitute the word Irish for white, and then it would read exactly like Southern propaganda uh, geared towards their particular population there. Uh, but of course, this brief passage, it draws on all the ideas of now miscegenation, blood purity. Uh, it strikes at the, uh, at the, the sexual uh, proclivities, if you will, uh, of black men and white women. And it's, it's interesting to note again that that is always the paradigm that's set up in this entire pamphlet. There is not one reference to a white man and a black woman. And again, that's for the same purpose that it was always orchestrated that way uh, in the southern slaveholding states. And it was meant to kind of pluck at that, that primitive instinctual nature of men, which is good for us to have, uh, to protect women. And, of course, the passions of jealousy in the heart of men. Uh, there are very few ways to ensure that males will come to some form of a conflict than to have women involved in the calculation to a limited number that are available. So the pamphlet goes on to explain the benefits of this mixture. So they write, The blending of the Irish in this country with the Negro will be a positive gain to the former. With education and an intermingling with the superior black, the Irish may be lifted up to something like the dignity of their ancestors. It also explains that this was not just a point of convenience, but this was a obligation, a solemn duty of Irish women to breed with black men. Uh, and this was their obligation specifically because it claims that it will uplift the, as they noted there, uh, the inferior Irish with the superior black. So the Irish are obligated then through, quote-unquote, word and by the practice of intermarriage to expand and reassert their true relations with the Negro. Describing the Irish elsewhere, the pamphlet referred to them as a more brutal race and lower in civilization than the Negro. So naturally, according to the uh, logic presented in this Democrat propaganda, uh, the Irish stood to gain from the fusion, as their term was, of the uh, well, Irish woman and black man, because again, for some reason, well, not some reason, the authors are immune to the idea that white men could actually also breed with black women, or sorry, Irish men. Gotta gotta keep that northern copperhead uh, filter handy. Now, this type of propaganda did have an effect, uh, although it was really designed for political means. It was meant to distance and alienate a growing Irish immigrant population from the Republican Party. Uh, an identical way that the uh, 
Southern Democrats established their seat of political mon- of control and, and monopoly in the South uh, without being able to offer anything positive to the illiterate, uneducated whites and wishing to keep them really in a second-class citizenry status. Uh, Southern Democrats just merely convinced them that they were, uh, well, really guardians of sort uh, that were there to protect the divine God-given institute of slavery, which was the, f- the floodgate that prevented all sorts of calamities uh, from destroying their lives. So even though these things didn't happen uh, and were not real and were absurd, uh, the reality was that they didn't have to be real. They merely had to convince a majority of the pop- southern population that voted that those calamities were real. And they did so very well, and that's exactly what secured them uh, their political monopoly, not just in antebellum America, but white supremacy and racial purity and the subjugation of blacks through legal codes and through the lynch mob did much the same after the Civil War. So with that kind of playbook, that blueprint uh, kind of evidenced there, then we this, the same was desired in these population centers in the North, uh, it didn't work out quite the same way, obviously. Uh, Republicans maintained uh, their power base, uh, much to the benefit of the nation uh, and its history. But, uh, much like the modern day, this type of propaganda, which is meant to encourage and convince certain uh, identity groups, if you will, uh, since it does, it is predicated on the kind of Marxist left Hegelian idea of the oppressor oppressed and identity groups. It takes the identity group creation of Calhounism and it convinces certain groups that they are being threatened or assaulted by other groups in society. And just like that we actually is happening today uh, in the new cycles of the present, uh, those groups that are most convinced, right or wrong, that they are being attacked by other groups, <clears throat> they then respond violently. Uh, and so in 1866, we see the fruits of the labor uh, pan out. Uh, Memphis, Tennessee, there was a massive, massive uh, race riot, <clears throat> which wasn't predicated slowly on the Irish, but the Irish constituted about 50% of the white side of the, of the conflict there. And the... The conflict was largely over uh, low-paying employment and jobs, essentially is what it comes down to, the labor market. Uh, and for the local papers and national papers relentlessly ran inflammatory articles uh, that were meant to incense and incite that kind of violent reaction. <clears throat> and the New York Times is uh, should be noted as chief among these. Uh, One would expect to uh, find the Southern Democrat propaganda being pushed through Southern papers, the Charleston Mercury, for example, uh, which we've alluded to otherwise. And I quote, uh, I quote from very, very often, uh, especially in the first two volumes of the 1787 project, because it truly was the mouthpiece of the South. 
Uh, it was, of course, uh, owned and, and, many, and in many ways authored by James Hammond, one of the most influential de- Southern Democrat fire eaters at the time, devout Calhounis, pro-slavery guy. And his job was essentially to whip up the Southern white males into a frenzy so that they could then throw them as cannon fodder during the Civil War. And it worked very well. So, the New York Times, uh, without embellishing on them too much, uh, an accurate, if not charitable, (laughs) definition uh, is that they happily participated in the spreading of racist, anti-black, anti-Irish, anti-Catholic propaganda. And they did this habitually, and this pattern never ended. Uh, and not unlike the modern day, uh, the New York Times uh, really echoed the same ideological talking points. Uh, and it didn't matter if they were accurate. The dominant purpose was to serve uh, as a form of propaganda and to condition and indoctrinate its readership, uh, largely towards uh, leftist Democrat uh, positions. So we're going to uh, explore two articles uh, written at the same same year, in 1864, same year as the miscegenation pamphlet. Uh, I am going to censor some of the language in these articles. Uh, primarily, I just out of respect the sensibilities for individuals. Uh, that's It's kind of a difficult thing to come to, though, because on one hand, uh, of course, <laughs> being a not a terrible person, uh, I don't wish to simply incense the, uh, the ire of individuals uh, through using particular language. Um, but on the other hand, if this language is censored repeatedly, it might lose its impact. So the reader, in my books especially, which I do much the same, but as for you, my very valued listener, I am going to censor these words, uh, but you should keep in mind, and even perhaps repeat it in your head, the actual language that the New York Times uh, intended to use. So, (laughs) with that little disclaimer out of the way, Uh, The first article is titled, More Trouble for the Country, Another First Class Crisis. And of course, crisis is always a big theme of, uh, and would be, this this just heralds leftist progressivism in the 20th century here. Everything must be a crisis. Every crisis must be solved with massive sweeping action. So this uh, article reads, in small part, because again, I'm not going to, I don't really want to dignify them with too much, but it reads... And I quote, We regret to learn from numerous sources that we are on the point of witnessing intermarriage on a grand scale between the whites and blacks of this republic. It has, as most of our readers are aware, been long held by logicians of the democratic school that once you admit the right of a Negro to the possession of his own person and the receipt of his own wages... You are bound either to marry his sister or give him your daughter in marriage to his son. The formula into which this argument has always been thrown was this. If all blacks are fit to be free, every white man is bound to marry. In words, are blacks. Therefore, 
every white man is bound to marry a N-word. And of course, the Times cites anonymous sources because that's that's the mainstream journalism today or pseudo-journalism in the modern day is you just simply say someone told you, but I can't tell you who because I don't want to give my sources up. And James Hammond did the same thing. He claimed that he had a singular intel from a, a northern man who had written him a letter warning of a mass conspiracy for the abolitionists to overthrow and create an insurrection to destroy slavery, which, of course, was not true. Uh, but he could go tell his uh, massive population, around 76% of illiterate white Southern voters that, and then, of course, they would just continue to pull that lever for Democrats. Now, it's particular, particularly interesting, this little passage, uh, is that it regurgitates the same talking points that were pushed Uh, again, by Stephen Douglas, Uh, this time in his debates with uh, Abraham Lincoln in 1858. And you can see the distortion of natural rights theory here, how it's carefully shaped and designed to, well, really to destroy the understanding of natural rights theory, but also to kind of malign it as a tool that would support the subjugation of blacks. So the Times, just like, uh, which isn't unlike uh, modern day again, uh, uses careful words. So notice it doesn't use the word slavery. It simply says uh, that the right of a Negro to the possession of his own person, which, as we have already explored in my earlier episode on natural rights theory, uh, that is your most fundamental right. In fact, that is the right that makes uh, murder bad. It's because, and chief among the abuses uh, that you can commit against another person uh, is the right to self-possession, which is the right to life. And of course, slavery is an obvious infringement on the right to self-possession as well, uh, though uh, not as bad as being killed. So we see that little intentional distortion. Also notice that they don't just say Democratic Party. They are the logicians of the democratic school. So they're painting this veneer of uh, in, in, in intellectualism, of academia, of, of really of kind of this lofty type of position onto the Democratic Party. And the logic, of course, is non-existent. Uh, it conflates marriage, which is a consensual contract between two, again, consensual people, Uh, generally through some uh, legal means. And they compare that to simply being able to get paid for your labor. So it's, I mean, the the fallacies and really the absurdities in this, just this single passage speak for themselves. But it should be remembered, though, that this was the most highly read paper in the nation at the time throughout the North. And so its intent is made pretty clear there. And of course, the fact that they would just keep repeating the same arguments despite those arguments being destroyed is also not a a unique novel thing. You can see that in the present day. For years after a debate has been settled or a particular argument's been made and then refuted, that same argument just gets repeated over and over again uh, to create an echo chamber uh, and to create a false sense of, of uh, <laughs> well, profundity, really. 
Now, of course, Lincoln addressed this absurdity himself during his debates with Stephen Douglas. He, he did so much to the, uh, to the laughter and the applause of the audience. He said, uh, and I, uh, <clears throat> I quote, I do not understand that because I do not want a Negro woman for a slave, I must necessarily want her for a wife. My understanding is that I can just let her alone. I am now in my 50th year, and I certainly never have had a black woman for either a slave or a wife. So it seems to me quite possible for us to get along without making either slaves or wives of Negroes. And again, this was just... It, <laughs> laughter and applause just erupted after this, because it's, it's such a common thing and such a clear thing. And it really highlights just the ridiculous sensationalism being pushed by Democrat Party at the time. Uh, which continues to be really a mainstay staple. Every article or every everything must be turned into a crisis. As the New York Times noted, uh, it would be a crisis uh, if black Americans were allowed to possess themselves and be paid for their labor. That would be a crisis, according to the New York Times. And just to kind of demonstrate this certainly is not a one-off, uh, Times actually doubled down on this theme. Uh, there's another article published less than a week later. Uh, this one was titled, What Are We Coming To and When Shall We Reach It? And again, in part, and I will be censoring anything necessary, we have no hesitation in saying that if we had at the outset conceived it possible that hostility to slavery would ever have led to wholesale intermarriage with Negroes or of all marriageable Republicans and their sisters, that party should never have received any countenance or support from this journal. We owe it to ourselves and our posterity to say that the odious matrimonial arrangements into which so many of those whose opinions on certain great questions of public policy we have hitherto shared have taken us wholly by surprise. And so, <clears throat> just like earlier propaganda really fixates on the white female black male calculation here the formula that seems to have uh <laughs> enjoyed the most impact let's say for the propaganda systems so democrats relentlessly insisted that the destruction of slavery was somehow synonymous with compulsory sexual interactions between individual citizens of course as you've noted from these two snippets uh, there's never any evidence offered for this position. Ever. Instead, uh, they either selectively quote other Democrats who share the same thing, or they just simply throw it out there. Uh, the intent, of course, was to appeal not to the reason or inquiry of readers, but to appeal to their emotions and their passions. And it should be noted that I did uh, draw these two selections in the New York Times in 1864, but they were not outliers. Uh, the Daily, sorry, excuse me, the Dayton Daily Empire uh, in 1860 had part of a uh, political race premised on white supremacy for the Democratic Party. So it reads, remember that Jacob Brinkerhoff, Republican candidate for Supreme Judge, says that a Negro is as good as a white man and is entitled to all the privileges and immunities of the white race. How terrible. 
you know this is true. Then will you not give such a rebuke to the fanatics and the oppressors, the laboring white man, as will force them to relinquish their hold upon your purse strings? Rally to the rescue. Retrenchment and reform and the elevation of the white race is the battle cry. I mean, I, I, I can't think of a clearer example other than perhaps Democrat Party platforms in earlier earlier years. So, not unlike Douglas, again, in his attacks against Abraham Lincoln, uh, the Democrat, uh, for in this case, for the uh, position of the uh, Supreme Court uh, in Ohio, so state Supreme Court, he lists things that we, as a, a good society, value uh, and, and understand as tenets of natural rights theory and to the purpose of the founding doctrine. Uh, the Democrat takes that and applies that as a, as a pejorative to the Republican running. It's not unlike Douglas, of course, who claimed that if you uh, want Negro equality, then vote for Republicans. Uh, was kind of a paraphrase of his of his uh, uh, oft often used refrain during 1860 presidential bid. Well, and 1858 for that matter. So it's interesting to note these things that are listed as as kind of these apparently terrible uh, positions to hold. That a Negro is as good as a white man, entitled to all the privileges and immunities of the white race. Yes, that is what natural rights theory does. That is what the founding doctrine is. But what's interesting, too, is you can already see the blending of the very popular uh, left Hegelian and now Marxist ideology uh, permeating into the uh, Democrat propaganda. We can see labor being brought into here, for example. Uh, of course, we know that uh, socialism, uh, radical pro-slavery socialism, was a tenant of the uh, Southern Democratic Party, especially uh, evidenced, of course, through uh, their uh, honest, honest socialist or slave socialist, uh, James Fitzhugh, which we talked about in a earlier episode as well. And so this call to labor is also pertinent because it was this repeated claim that free blacks meant that whites would be unemployed. They would, to uh, quote this particular political ad, relinquish their hold upon your purse strings. And so the messaging was meant to conflate any real or perceived economic difficulties uh, for quote-unquote white, including the Irish, but only when it was suited their needs, to be the fault of black freedom. And of course, that rallies together people who then believe that they are fighting for their right to make a living or, or whatever. So we see this kind of fiery left Hegelian Marxism kind of blending uh, throughout the later part, the later half of the 1800s. And it was always premised on dividing people into certain groups. Um, and we, we especially begin to see uh, the division not just on race, but on ideology. Uh, first, it was pretty easy to do so. Uh, it was North-South, you know, Union, Confederate, uh, Republican, Democrat. Uh, but that, <clears throat> that division only uh, was, was only grown. Uh, and of course, it was a very effective strategy. Over three quarters of the soldiers who fought in the Civil War on behalf of the Confederacy uh, owned no slaves. 
But we can learn uh, from this process, uh, not just learning the actual history of political parties and their roles in the uh, atrocities involving race uh, or their help, uh, their balm, if you will, uh, on issues of race in America. But we can learn, we hope, from the methods employed meant to separate, divide, and enrage group against group uh, to the benefit of an elite class of, well, self-appointed elite class, let's say, generally political class. Uh, And we can see this pattern throughout this series of propaganda. There was no logic. There was no reason. It was 100% appeals to emotion and passions, the most primitive base instincts. And a lot of it was predicated on the artificial creation of rights through the distortion of natural rights. Slavery, for example, had long been held by well, obviously slaveholders, as to be a right. It was not. And, of course, they would argue that that right uh, existed because of historical precedent, because there was nothing in the Constitution that they could cite that actually did, and they also perverted natural theory, uh, but selectively. Uh, They have a natural right to slaves, they say, because natural rights theory uh, is defined largely by the natural right to own property. But, of course, (laughs) that's... They conveniently uh, just didn't apply that to blacks, which were people that also had a natural right to self-possession. So we in the modern day should learn from these series and cycles of propaganda and understand that they have not ceased, uh, that this system is still well at work today, and in fact is even more dangerous. Uh, Edward Bernays feared uh, national radio for its what he thought was a, a, a dooming of the American people or large societies in general because of its ability to socially condition uh, vast swaths or all of society. And of course, Edward Bernays, uh, he passed away uh, long before the advent of the internet. Uh, And of course, Bernays knew very well how easy it was to control the mind of the population. Um, He helped uh, Woodrow Wilson do that uh, with his participation on the Creel mission, along with other uh, social scientists at the time, like uh, Walter Lippmann. But today, we can look back, we can learn our lessons, and hopefully we can rise above the political elite who seek to divide, and not just divide us, but actually set opposition to one another in such a way that it makes it easier for them to secure their dominant political positions. If you enjoy this episode, please subscribe, share, and leave a five-star review. The Shane Caraway Show is available on Google Podcasts, Spotify, Red Circle, and wherever you listen to your podcast. Also, visit 1787project.com to learn more.